Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Kyle David. Kyle is the CEO of KDG, a professional technology services and business advisory firm. He has also been a part-time lecturer at Mullenberry College for nearly a decade. Kyle considers his day job to be chief education officer and believes passionately about removing boundaries between academic and professional education. With credentials from Mullenberg College, Cornell University, Harvard Business School, Kyle seamlessly blends the worlds of technology, business, entrepreneurship, and education. Welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Thank you for having me, Dana. Well, thanks so much for reaching out uh, with your interest to be on the podcast. And, you know, it's a treat to talk to somebody who works in higher ed. I don't often get the chance on the podcast. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about your experience uh, working with higher ed students, but we'll start off with the trench story. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Sure. And I think uh, teaching as an adjunct, you know, oftentimes people look at an adjunct as sort of a you know, the substitute teacher, you know, the, the absolute bottom of the food chain in secondary ed. And there is some truth to that. Of course, you are the bottom of the food chain. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's an inherent challenge that comes as an adjunct, particularly when I spend most of my day in the professional world. Mm-hmm. And that is meeting every student where they are, because Muhlenberg is a traditional four-year private school. Uh, and it's very challenging for your private school. So we have a lot of very, very smart kids, but their entire lives have been in academia. Mm-hmm. And so when I come in, I come into the business department, I'm talking to them about real professional things I've done, you know, uh, in the last couple of days, weeks or months. And it's a paradigm shift for them because mm-hmm. they're looking at taking things they know theoretically and of course, applying them to something that's very tangible and, and sometimes very relevant in their lives. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they stumble. And I think that's where I, I learned one of my biggest lessons early in, in academia. And that was managing that stumbling point mm-hmm. gracefully, particularly for high performing students who aren't used to being there. And so I always sort of related to if you want to play basketball and you read every book on basketball, you watched every game, you watched YouTube videos on technique, you practiced in the driveway or you know, even inside of a gym, you would think you know a lot about basketball and they'd stick you on the court for your first game and you'd fall apart. Mm-hmm. And it'd be humiliating and it would be defeating and, and it would really challenge your sense of self. And that's exactly the situation that I ran into, uh, one of my first classes um, was, uh, there was a a very large portion of the class that was a foreign exchange student from a different country, of course. And a lot of these students, if you you thought we had great students to begin with, a lot of these students had to work extra hard because English was a second language for them. Mm -hmm. And they had risen to a certain level of performance and after giving real life case studies and giving them challenges where they had to 
really intuit things uh, based upon some of the, the stuff I taught in class. A lot of these kids who had been so used to knocking it out of the park, either by total brilliance or sheer willpower mm-hmm. and grit, absolutely stumped. And it was tough for them to recover. And it also put me in a very awkward position as well, because when all you know is the academic paradigm of the teacher teaches, you learn, you regurgitate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you've been doing this successfully for 18 or plus years, you're not the problem. You know, it's this adjunct who's at the bottom of the food chain yeah. uh, coming in here thinking, you know, he, he knows how to educate. Uh, and so I really had to start to rebuild trust on two levels. One, I was a competent professor and was going to give them things that they could then take into professional their professional lives, as well as the, the, the remainder of their academic lives. And I was mostly teaching seniors at the time. So um, it was, you know, there was a gear towards uh, uh, the professional world. But the second part to that, too, is that I had to give them a little bit of confidence back in themselves because I didn't realize how incredibly deflating it is to be a superstar for 18 years, you know, like studying basketball, reading all the manuals, playing and, you know, shooting, you know, nonstop, uh, nothing but net free throws in your driveway and then getting pushed into a game and totally with them. Um, that's a huge confidence breaker. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I almost didn't know how to interpret it initially because I thought, Ooh, maybe I'm not, playing with the top brass here. You know, maybe I I overestimated their capabilities. And I think through a bit of one-on-one time with each student, particularly my international students, who a lot of them, this wasn't just a failure for themselves. This was great shame they brought to their name. They weren't prepared. They weren't adequate. They weren't, you know, so on and so forth. So it took a lot of understanding. And honestly, for me, it took a lot of one-on-one listening Mm-hmm. to really understand where did they stumble and where it came down to, I think was overconfidence. Um, they were overconfident that the skills that they had built in academia were going to carry them forward in the professional world. And it's funny, I probably should have known that because, you know, in my professional life, we hire folks um, whose academic skills usually take a bit of refinement to make them competent, you know, working professionals. Um But looking at it on the other side of graduation, uh, listening to students, helping them to understand that knowledge and intellect is not the same as execution and delivery Mm -hmm. um, and bridging those two things together. What it did for my students and and quite frankly, for myself, because I I, I had a bit of, you know, a jolted confidence as well uh, in my ability to do this. But I think what it really did for my students was it gave them a new perspective on how to look at skill building Mm -hmm. and what it really takes to follow through with knowledge. Uh, And I, I, I love teaching. I love teaching because. I've gotten better at that over time and I've I've anticipated that with students and helped them get there. And once you start to build the muscle memory of learning something theoretically, putting something into sort of a safe practice area, Mm -hmm. you know, a case study or something that's a, you know, low consequence uh, real life exercise, and then going into the big leagues and trying it at at varying levels um, of immersion. Boy, once you get that skill down, it's addictive mm-hmm. because you realize 
not everybody has the academic foundation. So they, they sort of, they start midway through, um, you know, and they, 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 they just start practicing and by virtue of repetition, they go straight to execution without ever really knowing why they sort of learned a mechanical process. Mm-hmm. And you really develop people as intellectuals when you can take mm-hmm. them through that entire chain. And I have to say as a, uh, educator, of course, the, the most gratifying thing in the world is to receive a note from a student that says, you know, I, I was able to achieve X, Y, and Z because of something, uh, you know, that I learned at Muhlenberg. And uh, I, I have to say, I, they're almost predictable at this point. Um, and I think, and it's, I mean, I don't know how to say that with any more humility, um, but it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. It's the greatest thing in the world because it it doesn't diminish the work the student put in for the past 18, 20 years. It doesn't marginalize them. And in the professional world, the professional world has a tendency to do that, particularly Mm -hmm. uh, in corporate jobs. We take somebody and we tell them, you know, nothing, you're going to have to learn the ropes, yada, yada, yada. Um, Well, not quite. If you teach somebody to, to take that education then parlay that into action, you start to build that muscle, uh, all of a sudden they become very quick superstars wherever they go because they have that academic foundation. They're not shamed when they walk through the door of a, uh, you know, a, a private organization and their confidence is boosted in a way that allows them to continue that flywheel and build more knowledge and build more intellect and execute it faster. And I think that's at Muhlenberg, it is certainly not just me. I mean, I think this is something we do very well across the board, uh, we really do a fine job of allowing students to flex their academic muscle, but then flex it again in practice um, and show what it's like to have to demonstrate knowledge in execution and couldn't couldn't be prouder of that. Um, but it, it took quite a bit of learning on my part to fully embrace the magnitude of the, the you know, 25 plus students lives I had sort of uh, abruptly destroyed momentarily and sort of had to rebuild really quickly, um, not exactly knowing everything that I was doing. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of self-reflection on this and how that, you know, you've grown as an educator through the process, through learning about how your students learn and how to best support them. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, technology, just being an entrepreneur and innovator. Um, And you said uh, when you're teaching students uh, business, um, you look at fraud and other things, uh, you simulate playing games. So tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, one of the things I, I like to do uh, as, as anybody, you know, on the receiving side of a message, it's the story that sucks you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and without a good story, your attention can only stay for so long, but forget the attention part. Your memory only lasts so long. Sure. We like to apply things in our lives that we've seen in the past or at least heard about. Um, and so anytime I am teaching, I like to use it as, as salacious of a story as possible, perhaps not the most appropriate word, mm-hmm. um, but I like to use a story that's got teeth to it. I mean, yeah. I like to use a subject matter that's got teeth. And so I, I love teaching about fraud um, and duplicity in business. Uh, and it could be about the most trivial things in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, maybe it's, um, you know, the basics of accounting or uh, it's, uh, you know, some some light management consulting practices. 
all right, you wrap that up and okay, today we're going to solve a fraud or today we're going to, let's see how this played out at, uh, you know, Madoff Investments or Enron or, you know, whatever, what have you. What it does is it takes a concept that could be dull and and worse yet, some people may go, uh, duh, of course, if somebody's, you mm -hmm. know, um, exhibiting these behaviors, they're doing something duplicitous. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Puts it into context about how something like this could happen okay. and what the warning signs of those things are. So, you know, I always look at uh, Enron's, one of my favorite case studies ever, because, you know, you had an organization of 30,000 plus people, most of them good, upstanding citizens, mm -hmm. um, you know, did a wonderful job. And many good, upstanding citizens went to jail um, and didn't realize what that slippery slope looked like inside of the organization. Um, and so when I teach things like accounting concepts and internal controls and things like that, you know, it's these are black and white concepts. Here's why. Let's look how a little gray area took down a massive corporation. Um, and let's look at how easy that is to spot externally, uh, you know, from an outsider's point of view, because plenty of people knew that Bernie Madoff was a fraud. It was a mathematical impossibility, but like Stockholm syndrome, we, we just, we just kept doing, we just kept doing, we just kept mm -hmm. believing. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of academic rigor comes from challenging norms. And so there's many lessons that can be learned from that, uh, that I like to impart uh, upon, you know, uh, employees at an organization uh, and, and students alike, because there are lessons that stick. Mm -hmm. And then you can go back, oh, yeah, remember that thing with the Enron? And, the, you know, not everybody remembers all the details, but, um, you know, over the course of time, you, you tell enough stories, um, enough engaging stories, and people start to really remember them and apply them. Mm -hmm. There was a there is a professor uh, at uh, Muhlenberg that liked to start off a lot of operations classes. He would come into the room and he'd say, got to help me save my marriage today. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was a total ruse. Uh, his poor wife, you know, had to deal with it. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, he would make this whole story up about how there's some operational mm -hmm. challenge in his household and it would relate directly to the material uh, and, you know, you best believe all of the students that, that, that came into front of my class, they were all operations and information system experts. I mean, because they never forgot the time that, you know, whatever, he didn't buy the right apples at the grocery store and his wife was upset with him or something of that sort, mm -hmm. you know, sort that, that kept them engaged in seemingly mundane topics that have real life impact and it's always, you know, one of the things that I that it's tough about the the topic of business is it's everybody's fallback. You know, mm -hmm. there are some people that go and say, "I want to study business, I'm very passionate about business," but that's usually the degree you get, like life insurance. It's like, well, I'm really passionate about this, but I got business as a fallback. Sure. And sure. people do that because they think business is a very simple, you know, it's it's just you know, it's intuitive supply and demand, and you know, yada. It's incredibly complex. It's incredibly complex and it's incredibly nuanced. And the more people simplify it, the more it gives them a false sense of security uh, that they understand the topic thoroughly. And so the rarity that I've seen in the world is somebody who really understands the practice of business down to the fundamental level 
and doesn't over trivialize sort of throwaway concepts. And so that's also one of the other difficulties that I have faced in my career uh, in education and in the professional world is taking concepts that people want to make intuitive mm-hmm. and getting them to realize they're anything but, and they're really nuanced and they're really layered and they're really complex. Uh, and, you know, something like fraud, you know, okay, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Well, not exactly the, the issue at hand here. Um, and how to recognize that over time and, and, and how to uh, understand nuanced and layered concepts. I think that is one of the real pleasures of the liberal arts in allowing people to see things from different dimensions, mm-hmm. challenge them, but understand where the nuances lie um, that interlink all of them instead of somebody saying, oh, I'm never going to use Shakespeare the rest of my life. Uh, oh, but you are. <laughs> you just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to hear a little bit about kind of some of the risk Um I would say you say you taught um, you you tend to teach fourth year students who are ready to go into the real world. So um, you want them to have fun in your class. So um, how do they use some of these uh, situations in real world and practical uh, application um, in terms of taking risks? So there's a couple of different ways uh, that I like to challenge students to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, because, you know, as I, I always say um, to students and colleagues alike, discomfort means you're growing. Um, sure. Comfort means you're not. So you got to have a sense of comfort being uncomfortable. And, and so when we do case studies in class, oftentimes I have them act them out. Um, so mm-hmm. I will literally create a screenplay or, you know, a script, if you will. Um, and we will walk through the practicalities of a case study. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of the classes that I teach uh, privately for, for uh, KDG, um, we do a lot with respect to customer experience. And so I make them very immersive. We, we talk a lot about McDonald's milkshakes. It's one mm-hmm. of the case studies that we use. We buy McDonald's milkshakes for everybody in the class. So they can sit there and they can stir them and they can taste them. It becomes very tactile. Uh, in class as we're telling the story about the real business challenge of getting that milkshake in that cup consistently, you know, across, you know, uh, you know about 80,000 restaurants at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big challenge. And so when they can feel the product, it gives them more sense of ownership over the story. And so then mm-hmm. you're invested. So now when I put you in an uncomfortable position of having to now ask questions and be a, you know, a management consultant for McDonald's on the spot while you're holding the milkshake, you just heard the story. Um, You know, it gives you a different sense of just, oh, I read something in a book and now I have to answer a question about it. Now you're bought in. Now you're literally drinking the the milkshake, not the Kool-Aid. And I always think that's a fun way to teach because even the students that aren't particularly engaged, all of a sudden, perk up and who doesn't like a milkshake? I mean, you know, it's not the best milkshake in the world, but I mean, it's it's enough to keep you involved. Um, and inside of my class, uh, you know, I really think it's important to give students the opportunity to control the narrative in a way that allows them to be publicly wrong. I mean, they could be right too, um, but we do a lot of exercises where they become the decision maker, they become mm-hmm. the CEO in the class, 
is allowed to challenge them. Uh, mm -hmm. And they do it live. And sometimes it goes in crazy directions. We got to reel it back in. Um, but what often comes from it, it's not necessarily the being right or, or even the subject matter at hand. The muscle they're flexing professionally is being wrong publicly. Um, it's a great muscle to flex because we're all going to be wrong plenty of times. It's how you roll off of that. That's the most important. Um, and in the cases of case studies, you can only be wrong so long before you, you humiliate yourself, you know? Um, so it's really important that you recover quickly so that you can keep it moving forward. And takes about uh, one or two poor sacrificial students to uh, demonstrate that before everybody wises up really quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about some of your um, uh, materials that you have uh, on public domain. So you have some pre-recorded lectures um, that's about talking uh, about business to the post-pandemic economy, interpersonal relationships. Um, so what are other topics um, that people can access and where can they access this? Great. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, the vast majority of the information that I put out publicly is all geared around customer experience and building sustainable and durable enterprises. Okay. Um, you can find a, a lot of uh, webinars, which are a lot of them are just the college lectures that I do um, sort of dressed up a little bit, um, but they're on our website at www.kyledavidgroup.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the biggest um, the biggest in, in, uh, uh, webinar that I'm most well known for is the one that we do on business models. I, I think I've probably done that so many times I can do it in my sleep now, uh, but it sort of hits on all the things I've talked about here today, Dana, about engagement, getting people sucked into the story, making them buy into a mundane topic such as a business model, mm -hmm. and then cracking that nut open and realizing, whoa, this is this is not what I thought it was. This is not um, this is not just a sim simple throwaway concept. Um, it's actually something that's predictable yet nuanced um, and requires a lot of thoughtfulness in order to get it right consistently. Um, and uh, yeah, it, we, we call it a drinker's guide to business models. I teach college students. Um, so, you know, it's always the, the hook to get them to show up to class. We're going to talk about drinking for a night. Um, and uh, sure enough, it works. <laughs> like you said, it's something to get them hooked in. <laughs> um, you also work with student advisement um, and try to um, get that pipeline going um, from the high schools um, into the colleges for business students. Um, so how how do you maybe work with some of these high schools and, and talk to those uh, students who are interested in going into business? Sure. Uh, so over many years, um, I've worked either directly with high schools or two-year colleges. Uh, and for me, um, I, and this is really a, a pet passion of mine, it's getting people excited about business. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's that fallback subject. It's never the one, it's never the first pick. And if it is the first pick, everybody just sort of makes this grand assumption of, oh, they're just going for the money. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, there's, there's a soulless corporate suit in the making there. And it's anything but business is such an exciting topic. Mm -hmm. And it is so important that people learn deeply about the mechanics of business, because when you do it, unlocks so many opportunities, even if business is, is not the uh, domain in which you want to uh, fulfill your life, 
it unlocks so many opportunities by understanding how the rule book works in a capitalistic system uh, and what are the best ways to act? What are not the best ways to act? And, and you know, just like anything else, many, many, many layers involved there. Uh, and, you know, sort of the, the joke that I've always tell is that most people think that they were born uh, to two parents with an immediate marketing and business degree. And it's it's certainly not the not the case. And so when I talk to students that are you know very young in their academic lives, high school or um, sometimes tech school or a two year college, one of the things I try and get them excited about is that you know studying business doesn't mean you just have to be a suit in a back room somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's so much that you can do with it and can sure. empower other pursuits of yours. You, hey, if I'm at a technical school and what you want to do is become a plumber, learning business can make you a great plumber instead of just somebody coming and fix the job. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's more than anything else when I'm helping to uh, or, or working to talk to students, it's excitement. It's seeing my passion at play for this subject um, and then making it tangible in their lives, however that may be, to whatever, you know, aging demographic I'm talking to. Uh, because I'd like nothing more than some good, wholesome, ethical people to be passionate about business because the outcomes there are just tremendous. And, and it gives my sport a good name, if you will. <laughs> Maybe someday it won't be the fallback subject. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've had a great conversation about how you motivate students and what you've learned about how to better uh, teach your students and get them engaged. Out of everything we've talked about on the podcast today, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? More than anything else, uh, if I were to give advice to other folks who are part-time formal teachers, mm -hmm. it's bring your whole self to that classroom. Mm -hmm. Because that's what makes the part-time teacher, the adjunct, whatever you know, title you may have, that will make what makes them special. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what makes students really want to take your class instead of, oh, I couldn't get into any other class. Like I'm stuck with the mm -hmm. adjunct. Uh, you bring your whole self, you bring your career, you bring those things, um, you know, in an academically responsible manner. It's so much fun and it becomes really addictive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where can people connect with you and find you online? The easiest place to find uh, myself and all of our materials on our, our corporate website, which is www.kyledavidgroup.com. Um, you can find all of all of the most popular lectures I've ever done are there in webinar form. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure speaking with you and hearing about how you serve students and others who would like to know more about the business platform. Dana, thanks so much for having me. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it, and if this episode resonates especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. 